All right, well, good to see you guys this morning. My name is Seth. I'm one of the, the pastors here uh, at Salem. We're going we're gonna to be jumping back into uh, the gospel uh, of Mark uh, this morning. We're starting part two. So if you have not gotten one of these, this is the kind of the companion uh, guide that goes along with it. So if you've not gotten one, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring uh, that to you. We will be uh, on page seven, which is where we were supposed to be last week. So uh, we, we kind of called an audible and, and uh, this week we're doing uh, page seven. And so if you're leading a life group, just a, just a quick word uh, for your life group this week. Do not lead from page 12. Okay, we're skipping that one and you'll be on page 17. So I know that that makes it a little bit weird, but um, we'll, that will get us back on track. So while you're getting there, while you're turning uh, there, let's, uh, let's set the stage uh, for this morning. Okay. The day was just like any other day. And Jesus has left the region of Galilee and has moved to the north. We don't know why. Mark doesn't tell us. Maybe it's to get some rest. Maybe it's to prove a point. But he goes to the town of Tyre. And the town of Tyre and Sidon are two Roman cities, big port cities. Rome is the natural enemy of the Jewish nation. They are the people in control. And so this is a place that no good Jew would ever go. We're in this, this conversation that we started last week in verses 1 through 13 that's all about holiness and how something is clean and can be made unclean and how is it made clean again. And so this is a place that no good Jew would ever go because it's full of unclean. And yet this is where we find ourselves, where we're going to end this morning, is in a place that is the, unmost the most unlikely of places with the most unlikely of people where Jesus is going to demonstrate what clean really, really means. And we're going to get introduced briefly at the end to a woman and her daughter. And you think, why is that so different than any other story, Seth? Well, let's just take a step back. If you are a parent, if you've ever been a parent, or you're just an aunt and uncle and you've been around kids, you just know that raising kids is hard. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do because when your kid is great, life is great, but when life is not great for them, guess what? Everything inside of you wants to love them and be gracious and be merciful and kind, and yet so many times sin just spills out of our lives as parents. As parenting is hard in and of itself. Why is this so different because this is a woman, and her daughter is demon-possessed. This is a story that we don't talk about in today's world. This is something that we are not familiar with as we process through these things. Guys, this is a woman who, not only to Jews, because Jews are worried about being clean or unclean, and so they would have been hands-off, but even to her own people. This is a woman who is not welcome, not just at church. She is not welcome in social circles. She's not invited to family events. And all of a sudden, you begin to picture, I know people like that in life. You see, this is the most unlikely person that Jesus is going to use to make a point about being clean. Guys, we've been in this series, Follow Me, since September. We're almost 20 weeks in. It's crazy how time flies. Some of you are like, no way, it's been forever, but we're still going. <laughs> we're only in chapter 7. 
and we're still following Jesus. Guys, this whole thing starts. Jesus enters into the story. He skips the birth narrative and all that stuff and goes right to building the kingdom. What does he do immediately after? He calls a group of people to himself and says, here's the deal. I want you to be with me. Follow me so that you can be fishers of men. And so what we've been learning is that to follow Jesus, the real historical Jesus, as we get a glimpse of him, we go, man, it is not easy, but boy, is it good. The more that I surrender and follow the real historical Jesus in today's world, 21st century, somehow the better life gets, despite the fact the harder it gets. And because we get this glimpse of the real Jesus. And it's what I'm convinced, what we long for most in life right now, in the world in which we live. And so here we go. We are jumping into Mark chapter 7. We are in verse 14 is where we're going to begin. It says this. It says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Okay, let's just stop there. You're like, I thought we were going to talk about holiness. This is totally disconnected. Well, if you weren't here last week, let me help you. Let me catch you up. Because last week, we looked at the first 13 verses. Okay? And here's what happened. Here's what we see. Right? We start with this command, say, to be holy. Okay? This is last week. This command to be holy. And the Pharisees were, were super good at this. In fact, and for so many times in life, what we do is we create these really good intentions that we long for, we long for in our life. And yet the Pharisees decided that in order to maintain that holiness, to maintain that cleanness, what do we do? We put fences up around it. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you've got this box upon box upon box upon box, and you find yourself somewhere out here. Guys, if you want to push Jesus' buttons, here's what you do. You say, this is what I'm designed for. This is what I'm meant to hold with two hands. You want to push Jesus' buttons? You let go of this and you hold on to this. And so, so oftentimes in life, what we find is that we're even trying to manage both. We take one hand and we're holding on to one and, and still holding on to the other. And Jesus is like, no, that's not the way that this is supposed to work. You've missed the heart of the law. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, as that over time, as they looked at the God's law, they have all these questions. They thought, well, what does it mean to be a neighbor? Who's my neighbor? When are they my neighbor? Does it matter if they have blonde hair, black hair, no hair? When are they my neighbor? And so we write, and we write, and we write, and we write, and all of a sudden you get the Mishnah, which is this big book, right? And it's thick enough as itself. And then you write the Gemara over time, and then you put them together in the two, and it's this big, massive, massive book that they enter into the story. And this is the way that they've been living life. And Jesus is like, no, that's not the way this works. So when they ask the question of Jesus, hey, why is it that your disciples don't walk according to the tradition of the elders? Guess what? Button pushed. Jesus doesn't do this. I think this is funny. I was noticing this this week. Jesus doesn't go, hey, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. No, he goes right for the heart jugular. Is that a thing? The jugular of the heart. How about that? He's like, you hypocrites, you actors, you stage players, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In fact, when you do this, when you hold to this more than you hold to that, not only do you reject the law, you nullify it. Your worship has become inverted. You worship yourself. You think that it's so good that you don't watch Harry Potter because that's better than everybody else. 
And you go, man, I'm so good. I'm so holy. And Jesus is like, you've missed it. Guys, God's word provides clear boundaries. There are things that it says, please do this because it's good for you. And there's things where he says, please don't do this because that's not good for you. That's not the way that you're designed. There are clear boundaries, but in many areas in life, there is grace and there is freedom. And the moment that you and I as Christians take our tradition and our view and place that onto another person is the moment that we enter into legalism. And we say, gosh, this is the way that Christianity really is. And if you don't believe that, then you're just a lesser Christian than me. And we don't say that, but that's the implication. And just like, don't miss the heart of God's law. We didn't mention this this last week, but in Amos, it says this. It says, I hate, no, get this, I despise your feasts. Can you ever just imagine for a moment, like, like God, this is part of what God designed for them to do, to do feasts, and yet, like, this is designed for goodness, and then for God to turn around and say, no, I don't like the way that you're doing it. I know that I, I did it for your good, but guess what? I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. You're doing everything that I told you to do, but I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not even look upon them. He goes on and he says, take away from me the noise of your songs. Like you think about that, Jesus would enter in, he's like, yeah, worship, nah, meh, it's not right. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And you're like, man, this is the contrast. He says, here's, here's everything that I designed you to do, but you've missed the heart of the law. You're just doing that, and there's no justice in this world. You're not. You've missed the heart of the law. Guys, guess what? When you miss the heart of the law, you're going to miss the real Jesus. You want to know why? Because this entire book points to Jesus. And we can't miss the real Jesus. And you come out of this, you go, this is really healthy conversation. This is really healthy conversation. And you go, how, how is it that we salvage this moving forward? We're moving into part two of this as we go into verses 14. Here's what I want you to know is that by the end of this, we're going to look at this woman and here's what she's going to say. She's going to say this. She says this. No, go to the big idea, sorry. She says... I come to you not because I'm good, but I come to you because you are God. That's what we're doing. I'm not here because I'm good. I'm not here because I'm more righteous or because I've got life figured out. I'm not here because of that. I'm actually here because you're God. And that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning, right? Because this is a healthy conversation as we move on, which by the way, you know, we look at this in, in this last verse, 13 verses, we go, man, this is significantly important for us as people to understand in today's church. This was written right there, those first 13 verses to the Pharisees, which by the way, we oftentimes more than not are those people, which is hard. And so it's a, this is the perfect thing for the church to hear. Somebody came to me last week and they said, Seth, this was great. This is not just for the church. This is for the world. It's for anybody who's been burned by Christians. Oh, I agree. Guess what? Jesus agrees too, I think. Look at verse 14. Again, we go back. This is how he starts. What does he do? He moves away from the Pharisees. He calls everybody together. It's like he calls the whole crowd together. He called the people to him. And again, he said, hear me, all of you, and understand. Because when you hear the word hear, there's things that should be ringing in your mind. The first one, you go back to Mark chapter 4, which is the parable of the soils. That's the first parable that's recorded in Mark, and really it sets up all parables. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to understand the kingdom, you need to understand this one. Which, by the way, ironically, the only way you're going to understand this is if you come talk to me. 
And so here, it's a, it's a parable about hearing and listening. How do you listen? Is it really reaching your heart? And are you engaging it on a heart level rather than just dismissing it and walking away? It's about how you hear. But it goes even deeper to that. You take us all the way back to Deuteronomy. The word hear is the Hebrew word shema. Ooh, that's a fun word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love God with everything you got. You shall love him, right? It's here. And so Jesus in this moment is like this, this, this cultural thing is ringing in our ears. It should be ringing in our hearts. Here's what I want you to, I want you to hear it. Oh, and by the way, I want you to understand it. And here's what I want you to understand, verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to make it simple for you because I really want you to understand. I'm going to take the same Greek word. And I'm going to use it in two different ways. I'm going to use one with a different prefix and the other with a different prefix. One means in and one means out. It's very simple. What we're talking about is that what goes in is not what defiles you. It's actually what comes out. This is the law of transference in this whole context. Is he's talking about how we become clean and how we become unclean. Guys, last week we talked about this. Jesus, I think, is like, hey, you could grab a dead possum on the road. And you could freeze it to the roof of another car in a practical prank. You should probably wash your hands first because it will likely make you sick. But guess what? It will not make you unclean. It will not. It's not going to make you unclean. Guys, this is 200 years of lifestyle. The whole Talmud book, six times the size of the law that they would have up onto the table. Jesus is like, hey, let me take that. Nope, because that's not the way that it is. By the way, it's, it's just this. This is what you're designed for, not that. That's just tradition. That's the laws of men. That's what you're teaching people. In fact, even in the Mishnah, it says it's actually worse for you to disobey the tradition than it is the law. <laughs> You've reached a whole new level. When you get to that point, it's a big deal. 200 years worth of living. Jesus is blowing a hole in their view of holiness. I would have loved to know. Mark doesn't tell us. I would have loved to know how the crowd responded, but he doesn't tell us. I'm guessing that there are some gasps. <gasps> no! Especially from the Pharisees or even from the disciples. No way! He doesn't tell us. But it does beg the question. I'm guessing everybody in the room has got to be asking this question. If holiness isn't derived from the outside in, then how is it derived? Because that's what I want. I want holiness. I want to be near to God. And this is where the location changes in our text. And he moves us from the crowd and he goes into a house. Look at verse 17. It says that when he entered the house and left the people, by the way, I think that's funny because it doesn't say that the people left, that Jesus is like, I'm done. I'm going to go in the house. The people left and his disciples then asked him about the parable. This rings Mark 4, right? They want to know about it. They want to learn. And so they come to Jesus. Here's what he says, verse 18. It says, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Why? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then is expelled. Guys, there's a, uh, there's a, a line that some people won't cross when it comes to putting certain things in their body. 
This is a fine regimen of cheeseburgers and french fries right here, guys. But there's one thing I will not put in my body, and it is called mayonnaise, because I believe that mayonnaise will defile me, okay? <laughs> I do not like mayonnaise. Many, many years ago, 12, 13, 14 years ago, when my wife and I were just dating, we were sitting in Madison, Wisconsin at a little cafe, and I was sitting kitty corner to her, and right in front of me was Brett, and he was a college ministry intern, because I was in college ministry at the time, and so here we are, there's four of us here at this table, and I ordered a salad. You're like, why? I don't know. <laughs> to impress Nikki? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I just had a bazillion cheeseburgers, like I can't do anything but a salad. But I left to go to the bathroom, I came back, my salad was there, and I sat down, and I was ready to devour this thing. That's how hungry I was. I get my fork, and I get ready, and there's something, I look at my salad, and something gives me pause. And I look at it, I look up at Brett, I look at Nikki, I look at the other person, I don't remember who it was, and I look back at my salad, and then I politely asked, hey, did anybody touch my salad? Silence. And it's like the Western, dun, 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 enter like music playing in the background. It's like the shot of Brett's eyes, like it just like the video moved in on his eyes and you could see his eyes squint and it was him and me staring each other down. Somehow a tumbleweed flew through the scene, I don't know, you know. Dun, dun, dun. And I'm looking at Brett and I look at Nikki and there's like fear in her eyes. I look back at Brett and I said, you touched my salad. Turns out he had taken his fork, just dipped it in mayonnaise and touched a single piece of lettuce to see if I would notice. Don't step into the ring and mess with the king, Brett. I know when you do something to my salad. So I you know, took it off and I ate my salad. Here's the thing though, like I, mayonnaise to me, oh man, that's defiling. It is, and yet what Jesus is doing is he's opening up this conversation about what goes into us versus what comes out of us. And so if we come over to our board here, you know, I should have asked Steve Plutcher what a stomach looks like. I don't, so I just draw like a kidney bean, okay? Here we go. So what Jesus is doing here in this moment is he's saying there are all these different types of food that can enter in, right? Because it's still according to Old Testament law, right? Which is what Jesus, this is the parameters of what Jesus is setting up here. There were certain things that they could eat, one of which um, was a cow, Okay. It's like a camel cow, okay? One of which was a cow. Some you could eat were fish, right? You could eat that. And there are also other insects, like with double-jointed things like locusts that you could do as well, okay? So you look at this, you're like, mmm, yum, hamburger. Locusts, not so yum, right? But this is what happens, is that later on, Jesus isn't there yet. We're not there in the story, but later on in Acts chapter 10, Peter's gonna have a vision that comes from God, and what he's gonna do is he's gonna label all foods clean, it's not just these foods that Jesus is talking about, what goes into your body. He's saying all foods will eventually become clean, right? And so you look at that thing, that thing called bacon. <laughs> Yum. All of a sudden you're like, yep, that and pizza with that pepperoni, you know, that's more pork. These things that go into our stomach. And Jesus goes, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's actually what comes out. And you're like, is he going to do it? He's going to do it. Because this is the most natural response. 
when you hear Jesus' statement, this is what you're going to think of. It's not what goes in, it's actually what comes out. My dad was watching this service this last week, and he, he has trouble with hearing, and so he was watching the closed captionings. And he texted me, he goes, hey, Sunday was good. Um, did you really say the S word at the end of your sermon? And I went, what? No. No. He goes, well, that's what showed up on, this, on the closed captioning. I was like, No. But maybe it's prophetic because we're going to talk about it next week. <laughs> this is what Jesus is describing. Is it's not what goes in, it's what comes out. Now, now on face value, guys, here, just understand this, okay? Um, because this is what's so important. This is what's going to make this whole argument, okay? According to Pharisaic tradition, this doesn't defile you. This icky thing doesn't defile you. And Jesus, I think, in this moment is like, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're saying that if my disciples have unwashed hands, they grab a piece of bread, now the bread is unclean, it enters into my body, now I'm unclean, you think that that's what makes me unclean and not that. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And so what Jesus is reversing as he talks about this is that he then opens up the conversation saying it's not actually about the stomach, it's about the heart. That was his whole point all along, is to get to this. He says it's not what goes in, it's that what comes out that defiles. And all of a sudden, you begin to picture all of the sin that's exiting out of our lives at any given time. And just like, here's the deal. You've got all of this mess coming out of your heart. And you think, which by the way, later on, Romans says what? The wages of sin is death. You think that you can take care of this with washing your hands 25 times a day. It's going to take a little bit more than that right? Defilement comes from within. Look at verse 20. Here's how he says it. He says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. You're like, let's just stop there. Jesus keeps going. Coveting, wickedness, deceit. Let's stop there. Sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You see, I think sometimes we read this and we're like, okay, Seth, I get the point. Let's just move on. Jesus, we get the point. Let's just move on. And we could, but that would be to cultivate a shallow sense of our sin. Guys, when we're talking about the holiness of God, we need a real understanding of our sin. That's a real thing. Understand what's actually coming out of your heart. Evil thoughts. What is that? It's devising and schemes. Like, I don't know if I've ever done that. Let me tell you when I think that you maybe did. What about that time when you said, Man, life is going to look like this. I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to live in this city. I'm going to marry this type of person. I'm going to have this many kids. I'm going to have this type of a house. We're going to have kids, and they're going to be X number of years apart. And I got everything planned out. What is that? That's scheming. And you're like, that's not inherently bad. It's not. But here's the deal. Is that you're building your kingdom. You are scheming what kingdom you think that it should look like. And before you know it, all of a sudden, is that that could become a new reality for you. That could become your commandment. It goes on, sexual immorality. That's an umbrella for any sexual sin. Good luck getting out of that one. Theft. Taking what's not yours. Murder. Taking an innocent life. Adultery. When you... Break the marriage covenant. And you're like, when was the last time I did that? I've never acted on those. But Jesus is like in the Sermon on the Mount, oh, but I know that you do. It happens in your heart. 
coveting, greed, whenever you desire more of something, wickedness, bad behavior, maliciousness, deceit or deception, lies. You're like, I haven't told a lie in this last week. That's a lie. Psychologists say that you can't make it through a day without telling a single white lie. You see, when we have things that are going on in life and somebody says, how are you doing? If you think things are really good, what are you going to do? You over-exaggerate. If you think that things are bad and you want to be hidden from that, you under-exaggerate. Guess what? That's deception. That's not real. That's a lie. Sensuality, this unbridled, shameless living, envy, you know, jealousy or envy. Envy is the fear of never attaining that which you want. Jealousy is the fear of losing that which you've already attained. You think that that's a powerful motivator in your life? You think that's an American concept? Oh, we stamped that. Slander, whenever you defame, pride, arrogance, foolishness in the end. And Jesus is like, man, you've got this stuff coming out of your heart and you think that eating with unwashed hands makes you unclean. Boy, the wages of sin is death. That's going to take a little bit more than water to wash this off. Many years ago, my brother, I had a little Honda Civic at the time, and, and, uh, and he, he borrowed it for the weekend. I didn't know that he had borrowed it. I think I was out of town, and, and he ended up hitting a deer. I didn't know that. And so what happened is I went, and, and it was like in the middle of winter, and, and it was like all that gray smudge, like on your windshield, like when you can't get the spray, and so you like just makes it worse, and beep, 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 you know, you do that. And so I went, I stopped the gas station, I bought a big, big jug of that stuff, and I thought, man, this will last me for a while. I started pouring, and I started pouring, and I started pouring. Before I knew it, the bottle was half empty, and I was like, I don't think this car is big enough for this big of a retainer. It's a Honda Civic, it's tiny. I kept pouring and pouring, I made it all the way through. I'm like, man, what in the world? I looked down at the ground, it was all over the floor. You see, when he had hit the deer, which I didn't know, it had cracked the tank and everything was coming out. It was all over me. It was all over everybody else. Guys, here's the question that I have for you. Is it possible, if you don't know that you're sin, is it possible that you don't realize how much is actually coming out? Just goes and goes and goes and goes in life. And you look at some of these and you read the big ones. You're like, wow, that's not me. I don't adultery, murder. I don't read that. Then you get to greed and you're like, meh, not a big deal. Greed, in Colossians 3, Paul lists this out and he puts it at the bottom. You know what he says of greed? He says that greed is idolatry. He says, because when you want something more than anything else, what you end up doing is you take the thing on the outside, you put it in the middle, and now you're worshiping that instead of what you were intended to worship. Greed leads to idolatry. And you don't think that that's a big deal. Think about foolishness. All of a sudden, foolishness is spiritual insensitivity or rejection. If you, in this moment, you think about your sin, you're like, that's not a big deal. Guess what? You're being foolish. You go, man, (laughs) what about pride? C.S. Lewis said it this way. I love it. He said, pride is the one thing that's most easily seen in other people, and yet, at the same time, you can never see it in yourself. So if you're like, hey, that's not me, (laughs) guess what? It's you. It's you. Pride. And I want you to think for this moment as you look at all the sin, as you begin to ponder and process all the sin that's in your life, you know, there's these lists, you know, when Paul says later, take off these things, put them to death and put on these things. I want you to think about compassion and kindness and tenderness and love and forgiveness and all of these things. But think about how when sin rules your life, how much those good things are suppressed. It's a big deal. 
Pursuing holiness is a big thing. You're going to need a little bit more than water on your hands to take care of this. And so if we push pause in this moment, because this is where this thing ends in verse 23. This is how Jesus ends the story. This is how Mark ends it. It just says, all these things come from within and they defile a person. Done. You guys, here's, I think, the reference. Here's what's happening in this moment. There's an inference that you can make. Jesus is setting up this argument. Hey, you can't be made holy from the outside in. Why? Because you're actually defiled from the inside out. And if that's true, then by argument, what Jesus is getting us ready for is that we must be made holy from the inside out, which brings us to the cross. That moment that we place our faith in Christ and a new creation is made. The old has gone and the new has come. There is a transfer of holiness in all the rest of life. This is not how it works. When something is unclean, touches something that is clean, it becomes unclean. It's not true with God. No sin, no defilement, no containment. When he touches, you are made clean. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a representation of the gospel. And so to know what's coming out of you is also to know then what Christ did for you. And this is where Jesus finishes his argument in this passage. He says, here's the deal. You want to talk about being clean or unclean, I want to lay it out clearly. I want to give you an example of the most unclean situation that he can think of in this moment. And he goes to Tyre. Here's what it says. Let's read it. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Oh, that's, a, that's a problem. But immediately, circle, highlight, underline, we've been tracing that word, utheos, right? The, the emergence, the, 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 the contact of the kingdom right there. Immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter and she went home and found that the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Guys, here's the deal. You look at this, you go, why is it that this is the case? What is it that's going on here? Guys, he's, he's talking about dogs and people and, and man, it just seems a little... It seems a little harsh. Jesus, how about a little compassion? Maybe I understand what you're saying, but how about just a little bit of hope, a little bit of compassion for this woman? A lot of arguments have been made about this. What Jesus does is he doesn't quote the word for like the, the weird, strange kind of scavenger dog. He uses the word for puppy. In our home, we have a husky. This is a little picture of her when she was a puppy. Gosh, you look at that and your heart melts. I don't care if somebody's like, I hate dogs, but you love that picture. <laughs> Here's the deal. 
See, when we think about in an American culture, it's easy for us to read this passage and to think Jesus is being insensitive, that maybe he's just tired, maybe he made a mistake. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what he does. He knows what he's doing. You see, when we look at this, we put our, our context into it and we think about dogs this way. It was very different in their culture. And what Jesus is ultimately doing, he's like, hey, just get this, get this picture out of your mind. And I know I put that up there, so now you're not going to like forget it. But here's the reality is that just like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not separating humanity and, and, and animals. It's not that way. That's not at all what he's saying. He's talking about a location. He's talking about a house and those that are present in the house and who gets to eat the food. And so all that he's doing is he's talking about this idea of the gospel. In Romans 1.16, what does he say? Now, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And you're like, oh man, I applaud that. Why? Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You're like, man, it even gets better. And then he goes, but it's for the Jews first. And then for the Gentiles. Maybe it doesn't have quite the same ring, but can I say we should applaud that? You want to know why? Because that's who we are. Do you know who we are in this text? Are we a Pharisee? Uh, maybe by character. Or disciple? No, they're Jewish. Maybe by calling we are. But by ethnicity? We're Gentiles. The story is about us. Somehow we can be a Pharisee, a disciple, the crowd, and the woman all at once in this story. It's pretty crazy to think about and Jesus is saying, this is about a matter of salvation priority. That's what this is. Later on in Acts, right? All of the Gentiles get grafted into the same family. That's what this is about. And so what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's like, hey, I, 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 here's my priority. Here's my mission. I came for the Jews first. It's going to come to you. But what does he do? You think about this, you go, gosh, well, how about a little compassion? Is he rejecting her? No, this isn't a rejection. This is an invitation, what does he do? He lays out obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and yet she persists in every single one of those obstacles and says and she comes to Jesus with on her knees and all of this weeping and all of this begging, but Jesus is like, see, now you finally get it. I've been waiting seven chapters in Mark to say this is what God is looking for, is that people would come, man, I get it. I'm broken I have no goodness. I know what comes out of me. Just look at my family. Look how broken my family is. Has it sunk in yet that as we go through this story, we started with the Pharisees. He takes us to the crowd. He takes us to the disciples. He takes us to the woman. And this is the woman who gets it? The most unlikely of people. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the crowd. It's not the disciples. It's her. In all of her brokenness, in all of her despair, this is her story. This is what God is looking for. She knows it's going to take a little bit more than water on hands to take care of what's going on inside of her heart. And so this is where I would come back to that good final big idea is this. I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because you are God. Whew. 
That's how we wrap up those first 13 verses. That's how you redeem a passage last week about legalism and hypocrisy. It's not because I'm good. It's because you're God. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Let me give you this, and then we'll wrap up with an application. This whole talk about holiness is rooted in the, in the temple theology. And if you remember, there's this vision that Isaiah has. Jesus has already quoted from Isaiah in those first verses in 6 and 7. And this whole thing in, in temple theology, you have two spaces. You have the holy place and you have the most holy place. It's the most holy place where the throne of God is, the Ark of the Covenant. It's where the smoke swirls. And this is where God's holy presence is in this space. In the Old Testament, God gives Isaiah a vision. He's not on the outside because to go on the inside is to sure to bring death. Only the high priest can enter once a year into the most holy place. And that's on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement once a year, and he had to do everything to get ready, and yet God gives Isaiah a vision, not from outside, but of inside the most holy place. He sees the throne room of God in all of his beauty, all of his awesome nature. His holiness is, is at stake right here. It's right in front of him, and rightly so. Isaiah is freaked out. He says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and so a seraphim flies over and instead of bringing death, he brings a coal in tongs and touches the mouth of Isaiah and says this. It says, I don't have it in my notes, so I'm waiting for the slide. <laughs> I know that it's there. He basically says this. He says, you are clean. Yeah, there it is. Nope, nope, that's not it. He says, you are clean. And, and then he goes on to say, and your guilt has been atoned for. Guys, and it sets up this idea of Jesus and the cross. We are not made holy from the outside in. We are made holy from the inside out. And it's only by the work of Christ inside of us that we are made holy. And yet I love Tozer when he says this in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, yet when Christ died on the cross and that veil was torn and the most holy place became accessible to all of us, and yet for so many of, of us as Christians, we stand at the veil and we live life outside the veil because we're afraid to walk through into the holiness of God. Can I invite you to walk through the veil because that's where Jesus is leading, okay? Let me give you three fast things and we'll sing a song. First one is this. I want you to think about personal satisfaction. I want you to think about what your life might look like if sin didn't have the same rule in your life. Romans, sin shall have no dominion over you. Like, what would it look like to follow Jesus that much closer? Because to pursue Jesus is to pursue holiness. It's not that you can just root sin out of your life all the time and kill it and put it to death. But by following Jesus, guess what? More satisfaction enters into your life that sin's not going to want to have a space personal satisfaction, church unity. What if we dropped the legalism? What if we dropped all of that stuff, right? The pompous legalism, and all of a sudden we began to unite around the things that matter most in this world. And then think about missional impact when the world doesn't see the hypocrisy of Christians, but instead it sees a group of people who bring a taste of frozen yogurt and says, this is shalom. Let me bring this to you. And then I look at it and I go, it's already there, but Cape Table Road. 
take that with you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we finish, we're going to sing a song, and it's about the chasm that existed between us. What a beautiful way to end. As we think about Jesus and the cross, as we think about our sin and the call to holiness, we're reminded of how good Jesus is. We are defiled from the inside out. And we're not made holy by our goodness. We're not made holy by what we bring. We are made holy by the work of Jesus Christ in our life. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would tug at our hearts and go, if there's any sin in that list, we go, man, let's root that out. Let's find it. And let's seek to follow Jesus even closer, that the joy of that life might outweigh and kick out any other sin that might be there. Lord, we long to follow Jesus so closely that the dirt from his sandals clings to our garments. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.